In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. gentlemen welcome back to the true life podcast we are here with the one and only ld freelance video editor live stream producer content creator apparel designer amazing an amazing individual we're going to get to know him today and uh ld thank you so much for taking time to be here could you maybe reintroduce yourself for some people who may not know who you are yeah my name is lawrence driggs uh, it's great to be here george um Love your energy, man, and uh, thanks for for asking me on. Yeah, I, I never thought of myself as an apparel designer, but I guess I guess <laughs> I guess that's where I am. That's one of one of the hats I wear. Um, yeah, uh, my my wife and I, Candice, uh, started that store about a year ago, and um, just putting some ideas into action in a, in a basic form. But uh, yeah, I work with Richard Grove. I help produce the uh, Grand Theft World podcast and uh, help a little bit with production of his autonomy course and uh, do a bunch of video editing for various clients through our Autonomy Unlimited uh, media marketing company. And uh, I'm, yeah, some, something of a pig farmer now and taking care of dogs and chickens and yeah, doing all kinds of stuff. Man, that sounds awesome to me. I uh, I'm a little jealous about the farming lifestyle. I I live in Hawaii, so it's pretty beautiful here. But it, the way in which real estate here is, it's so expensive, and things are really grouped pretty tight. So, you know, to have a little bit of real estate, when I hear people talking about having a ranch or a yard or enough room to have some animals, it it makes me think about what I'm doing sometimes. But you know, I'm curious, how is it that you got started down this road of becoming a producer, working on the Grand Theft World podcast? What what was it that got you going down this road? Did you go to school for this or was it something you kind of learned yourself or what, how did that happen? I did not. Yeah, it's a, a lot of self-taught stuff. I mean, yeah, I was into music production, um, you know, about a decade ago and um, 
that sort of helped prime me. But I think subconsciously, I was always going to get into something like this. My dad was an airline pilot, a fighter pilot, airline pilot, and but he was a big fan of Edward R. Murrow, and he would he would talk about him, and he wanted to go to broadcasting school. He wanted to be on the radio, and he was big into uh, you know blues music on stations that were hard to find back in the day on the Eastern Shore of Maryland. So I think there's a little bit of that in my blood, and um, yeah, I was just telling a friend the other day. <clears throat> Uh, about when I was going to school, uh, I was going to community college, taking a a kind of lame American history course, just checking a box because I was studying kinesiology. But uh, at the same time, I'd found Richard's work and and like Jay Dyer's work and my uh, my historical understanding uh, understanding that the paradigm was kind of getting blown wide open. Um, anyhow, I was I was I was a fan of Stephen Crowder at the time, you know. I respect the dude. Uh, I won't, I won't say anything. <laughs> anyway, um, <clears throat> he'd put out a call. <laughs> I don't need, he'd put out a call for like a producer, you know, this was maybe five years ago. So I remember writing down, you know, like, how do I make myself indispensable to somebody like Steven Crowder? And, uh, yeah, find myself going through Rich's autonomy course and then working with him. And a few years later, like I'm doing that thing not the way I envisioned it and not with, with whom I, I thought I might want to work, but I'm really grateful that I found myself in, in the position I'm in and, and, you know, not, not somebody else that's, um, you know, not, not as well, well read or got the, the, the books to, to back things up. So that's kind of the, the short of it, I guess. Yeah. It, it makes me wonder, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. Anybody can go to school and learn what a teacher is preaching. Anybody can go and have a cardboard cutout of a job that is dictated to them. And it seems to me that a lot of people take this predetermined road of what they what they think they want, but it's really what they're told to be doing. So when you tell me you're self-taught and then you tell me the story of how you ended up where you were, I always admire that road better. It seems to me, you know, it, it reminds me of, I'm a big fan of, of mythology and Joseph Campbell and all these old myths. And there's this old myth about King Arthur and they're going to find the Holy Grail and they, they all head out into the woods. But the, one of the rules is each individual knight must enter into the dark forest in a spot that is the darkest to them where there is no path cut. And I've always thought about that. Like, yeah, you should be going out into the world and carving your own path. Because when you find yourself on a path, that means you're on somebody else's path because it's already been worn. So how? So you've told us about how kind of a, a wide-ranging set of how you got to where you were. But what was it like? What, what drew you to the autonomy course? And what can you tell us a little bit about that course and what you learned there and, and what it's been like working on the Grand Theft World podcast? Absolutely. And, and you're echoing so much of, of what kind of gets addressed in Rich's autonomy course. Um, and, you know, I, I guess I'm familiar with the term dark night of the soul. Mm. And, it, you know, I think it's, it's at least parallel to what you're talking yeah. about. And, and um, yeah, Rich often quotes John Taylor Gatto, um, 
but you know, one of them is, uh, you know, if, if you're not writing your own script in life, you're playing a part in somebody else's play. And, uh, so I think you're, you're touching on that exactly. And, and yeah, that's, that's sort of, um, I guess that's at the, the essence or, or the, the foundation of, of Rich's autonomy course, the early weeks get into breaking down the learned helplessness that many of us uh, are indoctrinated with through the education system, which we come to find out is not really designed to educate us. It's designed to indoctrinate us and to slot us into a particular um, uh, class or, or, you know, role in society. And yeah, it's break. It, it's, recognizing that accepting it and, and then kind of moving on and then the, the course moves into learning about your true potential and learning how to tap into that uh that infinite potential that that we all i think we all have and and many of us have just been beaten down just been um just squeezed into a box or you know we've we've just been um born and bred in a terrarium and and sort of you know, especially today, a lot of people have jobs that uh, are highly specialized and they make, they do very well for themselves, but it's contingent on a whole bunch of things being in place and operating in society that they never think about. And, uh, you know, it's, it, I guess you, that's a prepper mindset or, or whatever, just being a realist. But if those things were to fall away, what are those people going to do? And, um, so that's that's another part of the autonomy course is just um uh, in in omnia paratus is uh something rich has on on his uh shield there you know prepared in all things and it doesn't mean that you know everybody's mastering everything but it's is developing an awareness for all these things is it, it's raising consciousness having a higher level of consciousness and how you operate in the world and then yeah we, we talk a lot about freedom and um the flip side of the coin of freedom is responsibility. And so it's, it's all about, you know, taking more responsibility in more areas of your life. And, um, yeah, I mean that that's uh, speaking of the autonomy course and, and, uh, you asked about grand theft world that just, I think, uh, it was an idea that rich had for a while. He had the website for a while and, uh, back in November, of 2020, it just got put on the schedule. Uh, Tyler Tyler Bloyer used to work with us, and uh, he put a lot of that infrastructure into place. I mean, it was a, a team effort, but I learned a lot from him. I, I wasn't entirely self-taught, but had some good mentors here. And um, that's just—it's hard to believe, you know. We've been doing that 103 weeks in a row, in, in one form or another, and it—it it really feels like it's starting to turn into something. <laughs> yeah, I I think that. Uh... I'm a huge fan of the autonomy course. I'm a huge fan of you, Rich, the whole team over there, because you're constantly putting out content that not is not only something that is fun to watch, but it's something that sticks to the soul. And what I mean by that is the 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 format in which it comes out, the the way in which it is designed in order to get people thinking it almost like it's constantly begging questions from the listener. So it's interactive in that way where it gets you to think about some of the ideas, some of the lessons or some of the things in your environment that you've always wondered about, 
but maybe haven't had either the time or the courage to really start thinking about. And that to me is, it, it, it's kind of carrying on John Gatto's work. You know, I, And for those that don't know, John Gatto was probably the greatest teacher, one of the greatest teachers in American history. And if you haven't read his book, Dumbing Us Down or his other, I think he's got multiple books out there that most people should take the time to read to thoroughly understand what the education system is designed to do. It goes back to the Prussian system and kind of making today's American kids obedient workers instead of critical thinkers. And if you look at what's happening in the world today, I think that you can, while, while you and I, Lawrence, would call the, the school system today a failure. I believe there's people in positions of authority who would say this is working just perfect. What do you think? Absolutely. <laughs> no, you're, you're spot on. <laughs> I uh, I was having this conversation with my mother the other day, and uh, she's she's finally started listening to the show, and it's not it's not really her thing. You know, her feedback is like, well, I, I feel like I'm sitting in on a, a frat boy hangout or something. Like, okay, um, yeah, it's it's not for everyone, and. Uh, <laughs> It, it could be for everyone, but absolutely. She, she, um, she did say, well, I'll give you, I'll give rich this, you know, I agree with him on the John Dewey thing. And, uh, yeah, I, I expressed that to her. I'm like, well, look at yeah, the education system is, is actually kind of successful. It's doing what it was designed to do. And you, so this is something we talk about often is, well, what is the education system? How was it? designed and who designed it and why and yeah it's it's done pretty well for for what it was designed to do i'd agree yeah it's in some ways the breakdown of of the world we see today i i think can be if we're going to continue to talk about the education system and the breakdown of communication in the united states i think it should also be entered into the record that there is this fierce American spirit that loves to fight. And maybe that doesn't, maybe that's, I'm partial to, to America because I love our country and I, I love the people in it. And I love the people of the world too. So maybe there's this thing about life that says we're fighters. Maybe there's this thing about life that says deep down, we don't ever give up. Maybe there's this thing about life that says when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Like I believe that. And I see your guys' podcast as the embodiment of that spirit. It is this, okay, we've had enough. Now we're going to fight back. And we're going to fight back in a way that can't be controlled because we are now fighting for the hearts and minds of the people. And it, uh, getting back to the message of the podcast, getting back to the message of the autonomy course, you know, it seems to me what you're teaching in there is self-reliance through a community. Now, a lot of people would think, hey, self-reliance seems a little different than community. But the truth is those things are really connected. Is that kind of what the heart of the autonomy class is? Or, or what, is the, what is the relationship there? No, I think you're, you're evaluating it uh, correctly. It is, yeah, it is about uh, individual pursuits towards, towards autonomy. But uh, it is a very strong community. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful community to be a part of. And... So when you have these people that are they're in that pursuit of autonomy in their in their lives um, and just raising their their consciousness, their awareness and wanting to take greater responsibility because they want to be free, uh, you know, physically and, and mentally and, and 
bodily autonomy. Yeah, you have you have an amazing group of people that just they they share ideas and ideas get put into action. And sometimes it's, you know, you put that idea out there and then somebody chimes in and says, Well, I can do that or I can help you with that or I can teach you how to do that or I know so and so. And so it's it's a powerful networking. Um, but it's, you know, not just networking, it's like stuff is getting done and and just ideas are bubbling up and 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 you know we kind of have a rule when when somebody has a good idea then uh, they're responsible for it and you know that doesn't mean they have to do it themselves you know maybe you've got a critique of the website or or something well you know maybe you just need to be responsible for finding the person that that can do the job right so people start to get a really different uh, a broadened perception of the value that they have to offer because people come in oftentimes or they're they're contemplating getting in the course I, I was like this myself you know really struggling to put down on paper or you know into a into a form online that, you know what what skills do I have what do I have to offer what value do I have to offer and I think you know you, you start to have conversations with people and open up a little bit and and you discover maybe that you have much more value to offer than than you realized and in ways that you did not previously uh understand or 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 see yourself so there's a lot of that happening through that that community man that's beautiful i I love the way you said it it makes me it makes me think a lot like i have a lot of people in my life and even myself have gone through situations where, and I, I think maybe all of us, if we're being honest, I'm willing to bet everybody listening to this has gone through periods of their life where they have doubted themselves to the point of like, what the fuck am I doing? You know, like, am I even worth this? You know, and like, I've been around suicide enough to see how devastating it is. And I've been around enough people who have used drugs or, he found creative ways to destroy the beauty within them. And it's so beautiful for me to hear you say you found the value in yourself by finding out how valuable you can be. And I wish, like, I, I wish more people would take the time to do that because it's almost like a rebirth. It's almost like you've. And maybe this is something everybody has to go through. Maybe you're not a total man or woman until you go through this rebirth. Maybe you have to get to the doors, knock on them, and be like, I'm nothing, so that the door can be opened up and you can walk through and become something. But it's it's this idea of realizing, okay, I what what am I here for? What, what do I need to do? And then finding value in yourself, figuring out that you are the most important person in your life. At that point in time, then you can really begin to love yourself. And I think it's just there's this absence of self-love and you see it in the communities. You see it in relationships. You see it in the way people carry themselves with their head down, walking around, people that are having problems with weight, people that have mental disorders. It's like this lack of love for self because we've forgotten how important we are. Each individual is so important to the ecosystem. Each individual is so important to helping the next generation love themselves. And that brings me to, so you, you're in the autonomy course, you start producing. Is it fair to say now that you are also being a mentor to some of the younger kids coming up through those classes? 
Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got, uh, we've got a few, yeah, more than a few people interested in video editing and, and learning how they can, you know, we kind of call it shadow hosting. That's, that's how you start out just being a, being somebody to help out on a zoom call so that whoever's presenting doesn't have to worry about, uh, participants or muting or unmuting and, you know, you level up from there and start sharing clips and learning how to do that more efficiently and, and then going, going beyond that in post-production and, and, um, and publishing. So yeah, we've got, we've got a few people now. I've been running, um, a media group meeting every, every Thursdays. And, uh, it's, it's been very casual at times, um, uh, for a while. Yeah. Cause I, I started trying to take that over and I didn't feel qualified as a leader, at least in that, uh, in that realm, I was still learning a lot myself and feeling overwhelmed, but kind of kept the conversation going and we had a few regulars, uh, hang in there, but yeah, you know, we've got Cody, uh, in, in Arizona, he's, he's doing great. He's been really stepping up in the past few months, helping with, uh, post-production stuff. And now he's interested in a bit more live production. There's a handful of people and it's, it's great. Um, we've just kept that kept it going and now we've got a little team and we're, we're pulling clips because you know there is there's a ton of content to mine from yeah. just the grand theft world podcast every week it's a week's worth of content in one night and uh from the when the autonomy season kicks off then you know you've got another uh 12 hours of of content sort of within within the course there in the community and then you know we've got we're helping jay dyer produce a philosophy course right now we've got Ryan Christian uh, coming to do a, a autonomy speaking event on Thursday. And I think he's going to kick off a course uh, sort of on, on independent media and, and evaluating sources and stuff like that. We have a whole website at the marketplace, the autonomy Agora of, of these, these um, uh, courses we've, we've produced in the past couple of years and yeah, many hands working on it. Many hands make light work and, more people are showing up and, and interested and yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm about ready to, I'd been talking about it months ago about doing a production course and I, I don't know, I wasn't ready and, and, you know, life kind of got in the way, but I think I'm about ready to just go for it and get something started, do it live, you know, because I've learned a lot doing it that way. And yeah. you know, that's what we do on the show. We, I don't think, That'll get old. I was joking about that. <laughs> Let's do it live. Yeah. Yeah. It's what do you think are some differences and some, some, what do you think are some things that you have learned mentoring that are different than when you learned from a mentor? Does that kind of make sense? Like, I think that there's a whole different, while some things are similar, you get to see it from a different angle, but what is your take on that? Yeah, that's an interesting question, and, and um, that's why I'm I'm interested in teaching more because, you know, I don't have I don't know everything. I don't, and the way I do stuff isn't the only way to do it, and it's not the right way to do it. I'd say the right way to do things always involves attention to detail and sort of working things out, you know, ad nauseum and spending a lot of hours dealing with different things, figuring them out. But, uh, generally 
you know, I, I, I took a course uh, from Mark Passio a couple of years back, the um, how to become the true media. And I got a lot of value out of that. And just his approach, he's, he's so meticulous and sort of um, diligent with his work. So that, that rubbed off on me. And no, but to get back to your question, yeah, there's, there's things that you learn teaching things to other people because they're, they're not totally clueless. They have some pieces together, but they don't quite understand maybe something about how you do something. And then in, in their asking questions or presenting a solution for something, then, then you learn something and maybe tie, tie that into a process that makes what you do even better. And, you know, so it's a, it's a rising tide lifts all boats kind of thing. Um, and, but certainly that's, a, that's an old maxim, isn't it? That, you know, you, you, you master, I think you really master stuff once you're able to, to teach to people. And it, it, that, that ties to the, the trivium, I'd say the, the input processing and output, the grammar, logic, and rhetoric, you know, you, you have to ingest stuff and then put it all together and then be able to output it in a coherent manner. And, uh, so yeah, teaching is certainly that's uh, hugely important and, and beneficial to, to all involved. <laughs> yeah, man. I, you know, it's not too often that I interview people or I talk to people who start quoting the trivium. So thank you for that. I think it makes the world a little bit better. <laughs> I uh, good, yeah. Some yeah, you know, there's yes. <laughs> there's so much wisdom in there, right? Like, and it's somehow we've gotten away from that. It, it, it's interesting how you tie that into teaching because that should be the foundation for all teaching is you need to understand how to learn before you can actually start learning anything. But I wanted to go back for a minute and you had mentioned something about it may not be the right way, the way you've learned and attention to detail is important for some of us who have like learning disabilities like myself, you know, I never got to learn quote unquote, what was the right way? So I had to figure out my way to do it. And even though it's not the right way, it seems to be a way in which I can figure it out. And that, it got me thinking like, you know what, maybe, maybe there is no right way. Maybe the right way is the way you learn and other people that have similar ideas or their brain works a similar way, be it, you know, extroverted or a deficiency or, you know, whatever kind of silly language we use to describe people, maybe there's multiple ways to learn. And I think that that's kind of, if you look back at the, you know, the dialogue, Plato's dialogues, or even the trivium, you start learning that the best way to learn is just to ask questions. And my answer to that question may not be the same answer that you have, but it may be a path that gets us to the same result. And so I've, I've found that people who didn't learn from somebody, end up knowing ways to do it that are not only unique, but make them be an expert in their own way. I'm willing to bet if I sat down and watched you, or if even your students watch you, you're, you're showing them ways that no one else would teach them. And I think that's invaluable. So yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm happy to hear the language you're using. And I think that that's probably what makes you a good teacher and will make you a good teacher. And on top of that, that's what will set your course aside from everybody else's course is the LD way. <laughs> yeah, right on. Um, Ed, what just came to mind was uh, one, one student in particular from the autonomy course that joined in season one, 
uh, that that had been a, a Peace Revolution podcast listener, and uh, he's a he's a I guess well he's got a bunch of animals. I was going to say pig farmer, but he does a lot out in Oklahoma. But Jordan is uh, he's homeschooled, and he just approaches things so differently. So people come to him, you know, to ask him to evaluate something, and and his perspective is always very unique because yeah, he didn't go through an indoctrination system. He learned how to learn for himself and it's, it's very powerful. And I think that's, that's something that, you know, for Jordan, obviously he, he kind of did that. And then he comes, he comes and hangs out in the autonomy course, but for, for others of us, the autonomy course helps us break that down. Um, and, and and learn learn how to learn anything and uh that's something i definitely felt like i struggled with i I was a really good student in uh grade school and you know kind of honors and stuff and then i went went to a boarding school for high school i started to struggle and you know i i was uh diagnosed with depression and then later oh maybe it's add or it's a combination there's all kinds of stuff thrown at that you know from the the pharma angle and uh but I remember in high school just thinking like, gosh, if I could just figure out what um, the best way for me to learn is, but I didn't, I didn't feel like I had the time or I just couldn't get it. I did, I did what I could. And, but I always just felt like I I wasn't doing it right. And like, I I was just kind of trying to satisfy some vague standard um, that, that I didn't, I didn't quite understand. So um, yeah, learning, breaking that down and learning how to learn anything and learning how to learn for your, for yourself or the, the right way for yourself is, is immensely powerful. It's, it's empowering. Yeah, I agree. I, um, let's say we shift gears here for a minute and talk about depression. Like I, I, I've had multiple people in my family attempt suicide and they were both diagnosed with depression. And I've, I've often heard it say that depression is being trapped in the past. Anxiety is being trapped in the future. But it's, it's interesting the way in which our society, first off, diagnoses people with depression. And second off, tries to heal it. I'll start with the first part. Like, isn't it interesting that, you know, somebody we oftentimes people go to a doctor. Like, they don't even know the doctor. They don't know what school he's been to. They don't know anything about him. And here's this guy that's like, you have this thing. And then people are like, well, I guess I got this thing now. You know, they don't, maybe they, uh, maybe you go to a counselor, maybe you sit, maybe if you're lucky, you sit down and talk to somebody who's really educated in the area and has a thorough understanding of what you're going through. Maybe there's not a time limit on your counseling, but too often it's one or two people that just say, here, you got to take this pill. And this pill is going to do this thing for you to get you out of depression. But I, I don't think that SSRIs, I don't think that any of these pills allow people to get out of depression. I think it just allows them to feel good enough to stay in depression, to stay in the situation that has caused them to be upset about it. But as someone who was diagnosed with it, what's your take on, on what I just said? Um, I think you're, you're right on. I mean, it, it, it kind of uh, reminds me of my experience and, and going to doctors and having, having parents kind of trust in the doctors and the experts and the school, the school acting in loco parentes. And, um, yeah, I, I knew 
it's funny. I was, you know, I was like listening to the No Agenda show last night, and they're they're playing clips about uh, <laughs> the Adderall shortage, and and um, <laughs> and you know, talking about norepinephrine and serotonin reuptake inhibitors, and and I knew about all this stuff at a very young age, and like, okay, well, we're gonna try this, and we're, it's gonna hit this receptor, and and then here's another one that'll hit these other two types of receptors, and and now what? That that stuff is is being shown that you know that there's a recent study or, or an old study that was just recently kind yeah. of un, um, uncovered or, or brought to light that you know that stuff just doesn't work and and uh yeah i i played along although i i would resist and and yeah i off and on for 20 years i i was on this up and down thing where um it was like i was rejecting it but then i and it's fascinating to me if, if you if you don't mind me bringing this up please this, this, man please show whatever yay, you want to yeah yay in the media i don't know if you caught this um this interview he did with chris cuomo last week but you know no agenda had a clip from it and i just i just lost it because it was it was unbelievable and see i think the guy i you know I, i've always been kind of interested in him i do respect his his music i know it's not everybody's cup of tea and and he he seemed to be like a megalomaniac or you know yeezus whatever but to me i see him he's much more coherent now now you can critique his approach to to the subject that he's addressing right now but pretty fascinating what's going on but to have him go on chris cuomo's show on who knows what that network is he's, he's not on cnn anymore and um and to have that guy be like you know are you taking care of yourself are you all right and then have Ye say did you work out this morning <laughs> no i took my meds I took my meds my antidepressants like i do every morning like holy cow and who who looks like the crazy person in that conversation um I, that just blew me away. I, I got carried away clipping that out and, and playing with it. Um, to me, that his kind of observing his journey really hits close to home. And, you know, it, it, similarly, when, you know, when I was in my early 20s and, you know, I've, <clears throat> I was sort of primed for some, some conspiracy rabbit hole diving at a young age uh, i've mentioned this before my my dad was a, a T, twa pilot in 1996 a 747 blew up off the coast of long island and the government came up with a nice story that uh you know it was afraid afraid wiring and an empty nearly empty fuel tank and vapors and you know these things happen except it never really happens over in the middle east or or anywhere in hot temperatures anyway that you know it's i w i was privy to information at the age of uh, 11 12 that well you know maybe the u.s navy shot down a jet and got away with it and gaslighted the government gaslighted the country and and that was yeah. you know five years prior to 9 11. Hey, i'm getting <laughs> uh the, the the point was uh now when i when i was when i was 18 19 i went to guatemala by myself um 
go do some immersion in Spanish. And I met some dude down there at a little cafe. It was like, dude, do you know about, he was from Austin. Do you know about Infowars and Alex Jones? So I went in the internet cafe and looked it up. And I don't think I ever really got into Alex, Alex Jones. I didn't, I didn't really, really listen to him, listen to the show, but somehow I went, I saw something there and then, then went looking at Prescott Bush and, and, uh, Brown brothers, Harriman and the Nazis. And, and, uh, I remember trying to talk to my parents about that and, you know, oh, well, you can't believe everything you read on the internet. And, you know, I was, I was, I was young and out of control a bit off and on the meds and partying. And, and, uh, so I, I didn't give much credibility to myself, um, as far as the, the topics I was looking into. Um, so sorry, it's, you know, I just, I just feel for yay watching his journey and can identify with a lot of it. And, um, yeah, depression. Um, it, well, to me, it's like, it's a lack of, lack of sense of purpose. I think man without purpose or, you know, anybody without a sense of purpose, they're, they're going to suffer needlessly mentally. And, um, and it's a, it's a, it's a tough thing. It's taken me a while to, you know, I'm still working on it, but I, I have a true, I have a more, um, understand my sense of purpose or <laughs> I have a better sense of purpose now than I did months ago. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that's crucial to, to mental, uh, clarity, mental, um, what's the word, but it's just not mental suffering and we all suffer, but you know, there's, there's meaningful, meaningful suffering that leads to growth and enlightenment and, and, uh, it doesn't mean you have to abuse yourself, but sometimes it does like, yeah. <laughs> You, you have to endure, you know, I, I, I get some wisdom from like Jocko Willink and, and that whole mentality of like embrace, embrace the suck. Uh, just to say good like this, oh, this sucks. Well, good. It's a, it's a, another growth opportunity. AFCO, another fucking growth opportunity. Is my dad would say. <laughs> Your dad sounds like an awesome guy, man. I, I remember that airplane going down. I remember, and there was a lot of evidence, even though it was covered up in the mainstream, there was a lot of evidence that pointed to that thing being shot down. And it, it was, it was the, I don't know if it's the, the inability to cover things up or the sloppiness or the hubris in which people think they don't have to, but, or maybe it's the fact that you can't cover up such huge things like that because it's, it goes against everything that it goes against all logic. You know, but I, I do remember that happening you know, on, on the con, on the, uh, idea of yay. Like I just watched him today or part of him on the Lex Friedman podcast. I, mm -hmm. I gotta say, I, I love that guy, man. I, I don't always agree with him. And sometimes I think he's a knucklehead, but it, I think that what he's going through right now is what a lot of Americans, a lot of people around the world are going through, regardless of who is, is in charge and, and running things. There's no social mobility. And when there's no social mobility, there's unrest. Because why, why should a kid go out and get a job? You know, people talk about the younger generation being lazy and depressed and sitting home. Well, why should they? 
The people on the very top, all the CEOs, all the boards of directors, those guys have zero loyalty. They move from company to company to company for a paycheck, for a paycheck, for a paycheck. And then they get all upset when the people on the bottom do it. All oh, these kids don't want to stay in work. Yeah, because look at what the leaders do. There's not only is there no loyalty, there's no justice. There's zero justice for people. Once you reach a certain threshold, it's it's no longer justice. It's just us. And like I, the people on the bottom aren't dumb. They may not have the same resources. They may not have had the same education, but it is impossible. It is impossible to see the corruption, to not see the corruption at the top. In Hawaii, we have a saying, it says the fish rots from the head down. And what you see out in the world today is the complete devastation, the rot from the very people who call themselves leaders. You know, and I, I see Ye going out there and I see him making arguments that a lot of people are afraid to make. I'm not saying every argument he makes is accurate, but I am saying the guy's got the courage to do it. I am saying the guy's willing to stand up for what he believes in. I am willing to say that no matter who faces him, you know, he's making people look silly like Cuomo. Like, look at this guy waking up, taking meds to do like that guy has to wake up and take medicine just to get through his day. And I'm not saying that's a problem, but on some level, when you do that, you must acknowledge that you you are relying on this substance instead of relying on yourself to get better. You may always have to take medicine, but you must also take the step necessary to understand that you got to work on yourself to get better. And so when I when I when I think about depression and meds, and in an interesting way, you have kind of been doing a lot of research on neurobiology, if that's a word, like neurochemistry since you were young. You're, you're learning about the 5-2A receptor. You're, listen, you're learning about all these different things that make your brain work. And in a weird way, I bet you that's had a pretty proud, a profound effect on the way you think. But the reason I'm bringing up the, the brain chemistry and the SSRIs and all these drugs and the recent article about SSRIs that show them to be less effective than a placebo, you know, and it goes in conjunction with all the Alzheimer's medicine that they're showing doesn't work. What is working is psychedelics, be it ketamine or be it mushrooms. If you look at the work coming out of John Hopkins, if you look at the work that's coming out of all these new places, all this new funding that's coming up, what you're seeing is that psychedelics have the ability to make connections in the brain. They have the ability to remake connections in the brain. And the way I liken it to, and this is just my opinion, is that I knew a guy who had a stroke. When I was a young kid, this older guy had a stroke and he had to teach himself how to talk again. And that really interested me. I'm like, how did he do that? And what was explained to me is that when he had a stroke, no blood went to this part of his brain. And so that he was, he, those connections died in his brain. So he found a way to make new connections to get him to learn to speak again. You have to relearn everything over again. And when you look at the work of psychedelics, they have some study. There's a study out of John Hopkins about with fMRIs and it shows brain scans. And in one brain scan, what you see is the the connections of a normal person who is asking questions while they're in the fMRI. And then they take another person who's on a medium dose of psychedelics and they show all these different connections in there. And people are going through their they are learning that they can use psychedelics and they can be cured of PTSD in a matter of like four or five sessions. The level of psychedelics versus placebo 
is off the charts. Psychedelics are doing better. They make they make SSRIs look like, you know, uh, candy pez or something like that. And there's no there's no addiction. There's no need to continue to do it. There's no long term profit motive for the pharmaceutical companies. And I'm excited to hear about it. And I'm curious, have you ever experimented with psychedelics? And if so, what do you what do you think about what I'm saying? And and what is your take on psychedelics? Yeah, um, I I have uh, certainly when I was younger and more more in a, a reckless uh, experimental kind of party party approach, I guess you'd say. Uh, but then more recently, having you know, it's since uh, about April of 2020. That's when it, when I took the last of the pharmaceutical antidepressants that I was on, and and that was a that was a long journey that was a uh, huge, hugely um, big thanks to my wife, Candace and, and her disbelief, her incredulity that I needed that stuff. And, um, <clears throat> and it, it, it became a mental, just a, a real grind. Like I got to go to Gotta drive out to see the doctor every now and then and get a prescription. And then I have to go to the pharmacy every 30 days. And, you know, and then I'd be like, well, what if, what if everything falls apart and that's not available, then what? And, you know, you could, you could, um, you could kind of look at any kind of habits or any, anything you rely on in that way, uh, would have a healthy balance, but for that stuff, you know, and I, I used to just, sweat my body was just trying to like push out these toxins and mm. and uh you know i had trouble sleeping and and all kinds of you know when i was younger just weight weight problems and and i had really bad nutrition for a while but i i i think you know gut health was was something affected by this stuff so um yeah within the past couple of years especially last um last winter and you know i did i actually i did a, uh, a ceremony with with a friend dear friend back in uh august of 2020 with some uh, san pedro and that was a that was an interesting experience and it it sort of helped propel me into what i've been doing the past two years i i one of the things i left there with was a a note saying i am doing it and I, yeah. I posted that on, on my monitor. And at the time, you know, I was still working at Home Depot and I was doing some video editing and I, I just built my, my computer, Candace and I built it together and, but I, I, I wasn't making money and I, I didn't, I didn't really have a great plan, but I was just, well, I guess I'm going to do it. <laughs> so that was a, that was a mantra. That I, that I stuck with, but there were lots of ups and downs and, you know, you could, you could ask my wife, it was not easy. I was, it's incredible how that stuff kind of, there are these waves and you start reducing it. The doctor doesn't really help. Um, it was like pulling teeth, trying to get the doctor to help me with the plan to, to ramp off or something. And, uh, yeah, it, you notice these some subtle things and, and I, I used to be um, just 
I felt like this, this oversensitivity to the stuff. And maybe that's because I wasn't out, you know, working enough or, or doing, doing hard stuff enough, but you know, I, I was working, I was doing things. I was trying to, I, I'd gone through a, a journey of, you know, really, really being down and out and difficulty with substance abuse and <laughs> including pharmaceutical yeah. medication and, and then kind of getting out of that and getting control of, of my, my health and my diet and learning things along the way. But, but still was really struggling with some things and, and, um, yeah. So in the past year, um, winter, when last winter definitely really kind of got down. Um, and yeah, some microdoses of, of psilocybin helped me immensely and, and, and really helped me with, uh, creativity to an extent but it's 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 more of a like you described this uh this friend that develops new pathways in the brain i mean i i feel like i can i can feel that especially like becoming one with a computer sort of like uh warding off uh tangriness we call it you know being <laughs> angry with technology there's, <laughs> there's something about the, the mushrooms that seem to help and i know I, that's definitely a thing in like computer nerd culture and, and old school programmers they're definitely like uh you know speaking with the mushroom a little bit and i but i also want to address like i i think i think we have to be careful because uh and i don't know if it was no agenda or something else i was listening to recently but it's like all of a sudden big farm is kind of getting, getting pounded. And, um, there's this sort of revealing and, and now there's this good research and, and, and Johns Hopkins, I mean, kudos to them for, for doing it. It is Johns Hopkins. We got to keep, keep an eye on them. I'd say, I think there's a danger that, that, uh, people, it's like with the the legalization of of marijuana uh stuff becoming readily available and and sort of pushing the culture i i think i feel like there's a a danger of it being popularized and sort of put out there and used as a way to to kind of uh pacify people and that's if that's if people allow themselves to be pacified by it and aren't on a a spiritual journey or a journey of elevating consciousness and are just kind of pulled into the the idea of it uh the idea of of um you know tripping balls or whatever like <laughs> now we, you know it's like i hope you get what i'm saying so I it's, do. it's like a balance thing like this this is great um and i and maybe it's not necessary for everybody, I think, but there are many of us that obviously we have benefited from, from this, but it's a, it's a self journey and we have to be, I think for some people, yeah, maybe, maybe getting help with, from experts with that is important for others. I think it has to be a self-directed journey. And, you know, this ties to what we've, we've talked about on, on the show or what Rich and Tony get into and they're they're much more well versed on this than I am but the 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 seeming 
sort of origins of of uh, religious practices and religious rites and all the, all the symbolism with the the Vatican and the Pope and and um, you know the Liberty Cap. The, this stuff is sort of encoded in a lot of our um, mythology and and religious uh, religious practices. So you know, rich jokes about jesus being a mushroom and i you know i don't know if that was terence mckenna um and obviously you know go check out some some i wish i could tell you which ones but it just it comes up now and then the grand theft world podcast um it's i think there's something there to to these um entheogens and uh, a communion with god or a higher power that that one encounters and you have to be you have to be careful and i think you have to um i don't know i've I've definitely benefited from some microdoses and and every now and then a a larger dose and i know you know i um but i don't i don't i don't see that it's like something i have to do forever it's uh, it's not uh I'm open to, to feeling like I've, uh, like I can move past that, but, um, it is, it is a tool, uh, it seems is, is a tool that, that seems to be beneficial. <laughs> Man, that's really well said. I got a lot. I want to touch on that, but first we got a comment from the very beautiful, kind hey, Orwell, Orwell Huxley, Huxley here. This young uh, lady tells us. Used for pharmaceuticals instead of its intended use. I definitely do not want government weed or mushrooms. I wonder if LD felt the numbness of emotions with SSRIs. Is that something you felt? Absolutely. Absolutely. What was that yeah. like? What, what, what do you mean? Like you felt that? What does that mean? Numbness of emotions? Um, well, just a disconnectedness from, from feeling. And, you know, I guess men in general, we we're less in touch with our feelings than, than women. So, you know, finding that, that communication and balance in relationships is already a challenge, but when you have something that's, that's kind of blocking and, and getting in the way and making that even harder, it's, it's tough. And so, yeah, you get You could ask my wife about that. Um, mm. something she, she would comment on often and, um, I think she would say that it's gotten better and, uh, and I'm still, you know, I'm still on a journey, but it, it's been changing for the better, but absolutely Hucks. Uh, yeah, you're right on the money there. Yeah. It's, you know, in some ways her comment makes me think about the, Another problem with, with SRIs that I've never thought of before, if it's for depression, why would you take something that makes you feel alienated? It seems to me that numbness of emotions is definitely something that would alienate you if you can't feel closeness, if you can't feel love. you know. I guess, I guess maybe the, the thought is that, well, if we can cure the anger, if we can cure the depressive thoughts, they, they don't talk about curing all the other – curing. They don't cure anything – but I mean, if they loosen or they numb some of the depression, I guess they're saying it's okay to numb some of the love or numb some of the other stuff. But it just seems so alienating. Sure, and it's, but it's not addressing underlying yeah 
causes is not getting to the root of things. And it's, I think it, it contributes to, um, stunting emotional growth. Um, obviously, and, and you know, this is something rich touches on often with, the the prolonged adolescence delayed, mm. delayed, um, delayed growth. Um, and you know, people, people used to go through rites of passage at an early age. Yeah. They, and, and, you know, I have a, I have a new friend that, that I've been hanging out with. That's uh, he's an author and uh, a marksman. Um, and, you know, he, in his view, he's like, you know, you get a, uh, I forgot I always said it, but you know, at a certain point, a boy's ready for a BB gun. And then, uh, then you give him a 22 and then, you know, by the, by the time he's 12 or something, you know, he should have a, he should have a good rifle and, but it's something along those lines. But so that, that is, is, is an example. Firearms teach responsibility because you have to respect it. You have to understand how it works and you have to be very tuned in to your surroundings and your actions because firearm is a way of projecting your will at great distance instantaneously. So it's, um, you know, that, that's another thing that like not wanting people to, to grow up understanding firearms uh, is a way of delaying growth of delaying a, a rite of passage yep. and robbing people of that experience, uh, that opportunity to, to learn responsibility. And, um, Oh gosh, I forgot I was tying that back, but, uh, well, yeah, just rites of passage and, and delayed, uh, prolonged adolescence. That's that, that was the main, the main point there. Yeah, it's well put. I'm, I'm going to backtrack for just a moment. And you brought up a lot of good points about psychedelics. And I, I find myself falling into this trap sometimes of that psychedelics are a panacea that are going to cure a lot of things. I, I really like them, but that's not true. They're not going to, they're not a panacea. They may help a lot of things, but with everything that is helpful also comes a diet of destruction because things can be abused. You don't, they don't have to be addictive to be abused. That being said, you know, I, I, that being said, let me take a page out of Rich's, Rich's book and present some books here for people to think about. Everybody knows about Brave New World. And in Brave New World, people take Soma whenever they get stressed, when they're mad. It's like this panacea of emotional management that people take. Soma, there's a book called Soma, and it was about the Amanita Mascara, and it's about the substance that they took in the Bhagavad Gita, like this, this great drug that helped everything. And that's probably where Huxley got it from. However, while everybody knows about the book Brave New World, there's another book that was written by Huxley called The Island. And in this book, The Island, it was a book about a different kind of utopia. And I, I hesitate to use the word utopia because it was actually this small knit group of really intelligent people. And on the island, you know, it, I know I'm kind of jumping around, but isn't it weird that in the book Brave New World, the lead characters who cause all this trouble, they get banned to an island. And now there's this other book called The Island. And on the island, they use mushrooms. And he, he talks about how they use it for kids at the age of 12 
to go through rites of passage. He talks about how yeah. they use it to be in communion with the world. And it gave me a whole different perspective on Huxley. Like I, I still see him as a social engineer that, you know, that comes from a long line of people that want to shape the way the world works in a specific way. But reading the book, The Island, allowed me to see the other side of his thinking. You know, it was like, here's how we're going to live. And if you look at the way in which he deemed the elite should live, it seems to me that should be the way everybody should live. Maybe there's a problem there with education. Maybe there's a problem with people, you know, that they don't want the useless eaters, whatever the heck that means. Like, I, I can understand how in some societies, maybe when it gets too big, you can't have all the things that you wish your society could have. But I wanted to bring that up on the topic of mushrooms before we move forward. I, I do think it's important to note that the, a lot of the work that is being done, it can be used for nefarious reasons, you know, and especially if we allow big pharma to come in and start manipulating it the way they've manipulated the current set of vaccines, or we, we allow the substance that helps us to become commercialized into a, a means of, of profit, something that's only for profit right there. So I wanted to address that again, but I wanted to also talk about rites of passage. I'm glad you brought this up. It seems that one, one thing we could do to move our society forward is return to some rites of passage. You know, in some of the South American continents, the women, the young girls have quinceañeras where they become a woman and there's these different things that are still out there. But for a man, there really is no rite of passage. You know, it, it seems like maybe beating some video game or something like that, but there's no real community around a rites of passage. And I like what you said about firearms. Firearms are a way to teach men the way they've been taught as hunters back in the day. Like, look, you, you're responsible for your family. You're responsible and you are a killing machine. You have the ability to kill, to murder, and you must understand, you must integrate these into your system. You know, what, what are some other things you can think about when we talk about rites of passage? And well, and just to touch on that, uh, yeah. I mean, that you're echoing Jordan Peterson there, I think with the, uh, um, uh, how does he put it? You know, just uh, a beast recognizing yes that, i don't know if that's the phrase he uses but recognizing that you have um the potential to be a monster but you can control it and then you harness that uh so i just want to express that but well done other other rites of passage i mean um well yeah let's say food um and and i think this you know i i was i caught a little bit i was listening to one of your previous episodes where you guys are talking about uh death death and acceptance of that or going going through death and ritual and so you know i'm hanging out where i am and and by the way i like i don't have a ranch i'm just uh, privileged to found myself um hanging out on one and making myself useful and and uh enjoying enjoying the benefits of of being in a community where they're very conscious about the food production and you know, it, it's, it's pretty clean eaten and there's raw milk down the road and, mm. you know, fresh eggs and, and, and bison slaughtered on site. And, um, but the food thing, like, you know, we've got, uh, we've got a friend, Jay noon, uh, 
that we're helping to produce a course here about like dopamine rewiring and and you know instead of giving your kids screen time you have them pick eggs you have them feed pigs so that's for jay his perspective is like that that's an early rite of a passage like you know i think two years old his, his his daughter was well even before that he he just you know he had her in a uh, carrying her on his chest he'd go out and get the eggs and she's observing all this and pretty soon she's able to walk and she's doing it herself and then she moves on to you know making mixing up yogurt and stuff uh feeding it to the pigs and to the chickens and so so there's a rite of passage right there learning learning how to take care of a, a creature and and then you're going to move along to where you've got to slaughter that creature that you've raised and taken care of and you got to take its life and you have to accept that and you know give thanks and take in that that uh that food and nourish your body. And I think that's a powerful rite of passage there. People that grow up on a farm or just can more closely connected to their food supply. Death is not such a scary thing. I think uh, it, I think you learn, I, I think that you learn there that the death is a part of life, the cycle and, and, and it's something that that can be dealt dealt with and talked about. Obviously, you know, people, loved ones, it's, it's different. But I I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. I I think that that is beneficial. I think that that helps us just stay grounded and and not not fear death so much. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's really well put. I like the idea of the introduction of rites of passage at all ages, you know, maybe there should, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's what birthdays should be. They should be a celebration of a rite of passage. Hey, you've made it, you know, in Hawaii, there's a big celebration for the first birthday and coming from Caucasian acres where I lived in, I move out here and there's just so many different cultures that I learned so much. And I'm like, well, I don't understand. Why does everybody have a birthday party for the first year? And it's because so many kids die before the first year. When a kid makes it to the first year, it's like, okay, now we can all take a collective deep breath. Ah, we made it. Yeah, let's let's celebrate. You know, chances of that child dying now are a lot less than they were. And that in itself is a rite of passage. And Mm I, I, you know, it's interesting. I'm I'm wondering if when you went to South America, you learn some of the same things that I'm learning now is that the way in which the rest of the world lives and by rest of the world, I mean the world outside of gigantic cities, the world outside of Western culture. I'm wondering if you got to see, for me, it's almost like a look back to how our country probably used to be with a extended family where everybody lives together. Where In California where I lived, when I was 17, I was like, okay, I got to get out of here, man. I'm never going to get a girlfriend if I don't have a car. I'm never going to get a girlfriend if I don't live by myself. I'm a loser if I live with my parents. You know, there's all this crazy just garbage in my head about what I should be in order to be perceived as someone worthwhile. And it's amazing looking back at like how I had all that in my head and 
You start thinking about how it got in your head. But when I came to Hawaii, I've noticed that there's like this giant, you know, extended family. So you have, and, and I, I think this may be common for other parts of the world. When my traveling, I've gone to Mexico, I've spent some time in South America, but I see the same idea of a family unit where the grandparents and the parents and the kids live together. And you know, there's so much wisdom a grandparent has. There's so much wisdom a parent has, especially when you find you're a new parent. When you become a new parent, you realize you don't know anything. You don't know nothing, you know, and you give your kid to your mom or you give your kid to your grandparents and you're just like, how do they know all this? And back home when we're, we're so separated, we have decided, at least in the West where I came from, that we're going to we're going to privatize the jobs. The, the old folks, the, your grandparents are going to go to a home, the parents are going to go to work and the kids are going to go to a school and you guys are never together. You're always working. You're always doing something. But it seems to me that that is the very foundation where we, that is the very right turn where we went wrong. Maybe not a hundred percent, but when I look at the families here, there's so much more intact. There's so much more love. There's so much less hatred towards the self. It seems like to me. And I'm curious if you have found something similar when you traveled to South America. Um, I definitely, I think I definitely observed that. You know, I was only down there about three months. Um, but yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. And I was just thinking, you know, we, we have like these uh, constructed rites of passage mm. in, uh, you know, it's, it's like, Americanism or global homo, if you, if you will, global, global homogenization, the exportation of this culture creation where, yeah, it's like you move out of the house, you get a fast car, you get it. Well, you, know, you got to get a job first. Um, nothing wrong with getting a job, but, uh, right. you know, it's like you get a job at a fast food place, like you flip burgers or whatever, like, <clears throat> And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm agreed. The, the, the point is like, uh, you could, you could be doing lots of different jobs, but lots of different jobs are, are kind of closed off because well, minimum wage, you know, you're, you, um, they're forced to pay a certain amount. So you can't get in and, and just, you know, make a little bit in, in exchange for the value that you have while you increase your value value over time. But yeah, just, you know, um, pop culture and, and fashion it's all like these are these are the kind of the uh the touchstones or the uh the benchmarks for for our development over over time versus yeah practical practical skills that are that are tied in with a family unit unit like you're describing and um you know that where i'm hanging out there's there's a community here that they've got like three generations now of of kids um i mean you know the, the kids now are like a third generation that have been raised right there and they're they're doing farm work and you know dairy operating dairy and um yeah it's a it's a different vibe <laughs> to put it one way but yeah it's just it's like it's a it's a different atmosphere than than you find in Southern California. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, sometimes I think maybe that's the difference. One of the main differences between the city and the more rural areas is that there is a close, there's a different understanding of 
what a family is. And when you put two people from those different cultures, because it, it is two different cultures. You know, if you have someone that's on a farm versus someone that's in a city, we're all we're all people, but we have two different understandings of the family unit. And I think that the people that live on a farm are more closely related to the land. They're more more understanding of, hey, if I'm gonna if I want to eat meat, I'm gonna have to kill Betsy out here, you know, and that's okay because that's why we raised Betsy, you know. But when you look at the way in which someone lives in a city, it's so automated and it's so, you know, almost synthetic the way in which we live in those places. And it takes you, it takes you away from the land. It takes you away from being grounded. And so I I see that similarity between people who live in and I guess maybe. Hawaii is a lot like a farmer. Obviously, there's big cities, and, and you look at places that are not as industrialized. And I guess this kind of gets us back to the Prussian school model, right? Uh, we can just take this thing full circle back to education. Education leads one to live a life in one of these synthetic cities, and they're trying to do away with people living out off the land and being self-resilient. They want you to be dependent on the system so that you'll work for the system and continue to perpetuate the system instead of working for yourself. Does that does that sound accurate? What do you think about that? I, yeah, you're right on the money, and uh, you're echoing you know what I said about specialized jobs and 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 um, just kind of being okay and reliant upon a whole bunch of systems that you're not really aware of and you don't have to think about. You don't have to think about it, dude. And uh, yeah, <laughs> you, <laughs> oh, that's um, funny. Most um, people. <laughs> Nicely, nice pull. <laughs> oh no, I threw off, threw off my flow. Sorry. But uh, <laughs> that was no, you didn't. I, <laughs> I uh, uh, geez, yeah. Um, oh, geez, what were what were you saying though about? We were talking about uh, the education system, education, and how it echoes the uh, what we're learning and living in the cities versus living oh. on the farms. Yeah. Well, and I was going to, you know, I was going to mention Ernie Hancock that I've been hanging out with up here and his, his whole occupy the land hashtag occupy the land thing. And I came up here to, to help him build a geodesic dome, build multiple domes. And, um, but it's not really about the domes. Domes are awesome. And he's been, he's been building domes for years. Uh, but his, his thing more so is, um, showing what can be done with, uh, you know, a limited amount of resources, but working together with people and, you know, you've got a spot of land and you can throw up this structure. So it doesn't have to be a dome, but he is, they're leaving tomorrow. He and Donna are headed back to Phoenix. It's getting cold up here. They're ready to get out of town, but he is, he is all revved up because they're going back to Arizona. He's going to find a piece of land. He's going to throw down and start building a, a house but you know he kind of wants to make a thing out of it and you know it's like i've got my land i want to do what i want need to do leave me alone um i'm going to take i'm going to take care of my myself and mine and yeah that's it's the opposite of cuz you know he he said they want you in a van down by the river or in in the shoebox uh i mean look at that look at that city that they're building the line, uh, the line in Saudi Arabia. Mm. Have you seen that? 
I haven't seen it's, it. No, um, it's just this. It's like the 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 height of the the um, Empire State Building, and I don't know how wide. You know, maybe a couple container ships wide, and just this big glass strip for miles wow. and miles and miles. And you know, they want to put nine million people in this uh, fancy looking box, <laughs> and I'm sure. That's all well and good, but you know, you probably got to abide by certain rules. And, you know, I guess if you don't want to, if you walk out the door, <laughs> good luck. You're in the middle of the desert. So, yeah, I mean, clearly, like, you know, you'll own nothing and be happy. <laughs> Everything's moving towards a, a rent, you know, mm-hmm. rent services rather than own things. Right. And, and the food, the food system is under attack. I think that's, it out. it's been very clearly documented. A lot of these, these food processing plant things, uh, in the past year, especially like it's just not an organic thing that's happening. I, I'll refer to No Agenda podcast one more time, and Adam Curry um, talking to this guy Texas Slim pointed out like these these facilities have sprinkler systems for insurance purposes you don't have fires that burn down facilities like this like they go out they're put out i could be wrong but you know it there's a whole lot of things happening and it seems to it just so that they're they're trying to to steal the real and sell us the fake as james evan palato often says so you know they're going to they're trying to turn facilities like that, you know, into uh, GMO garbage slop food facilities. And unfortunately, a lot of people are going to, they're going to lap it up. And I don't know, we have to, we have to get the word out to more people. Um, that's, that's something I'm, I'm really passionate about. I, I want to keep talking to people about raw milk, raw dairy. I think that so many people that, that, that don't understand the the deception there and the, the issues that are caused uh, by that whole system. And yeah. Yeah. It, I, I, I thoroughly believe that we are in a fight for abundance versus scarcity and the people in positions of authority want there to be scarcity. They, when you're in scarcity, you have a scarcity mindset and you're scared and you're reactive instead of proactive. But the truth is like, and when it comes to food, you know, I think that, you know, when is the last time you saw multiple planes hit multiple food processing plants? Like that doesn't happen. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I could see how some of them, I bet you some of them are being, without a doubt, I'm sure they're being pressured to either quit through regulation or sell. And that's, I think some of the fires are those own people like, okay, well, I'll just set this thing on fire, take the insurance money because I'm going to go under anyway. But I do think that when you see like the Gates Foundation buying all the farmland, when you see people in Australia and the school students already eating all these bugs, I think they're setting up a false choice of like, okay, you don't want to eat the lab grown meat, then eat the bugs. You can have your choice, you know, like this illusion Mm -hmm. of choice. But yeah, yeah, you know, you can see this idea through the mindset of business. They call it like a blue ocean strategy. We're going to create a whole new world of business that we can exploit. And it starts by getting rid of food. It starts by privatizing all the water. We're going to privatize everything 
and then we're going to run it, you know? And I, I, I don't, my sister investigates corporate security fraud and she cut her teeth on Enron. So I paid attention to that whole Enron scandal, especially being from California, <clears throat> excuse me. And in California, what they did is they would have these rolling blackouts, but it was, it was the power companies that called the power companies were called and told, Hey, we need you to shut down the grid because of an overload, even though there wasn't an overload, they were shutting down the grid when it was at peak times, because that was when the corporations were losing the most mo mo most money. So now that they have been almost completely privatized in California, you could put a grid, you could put the two grids together or a graph that shows what Enron did versus what PG&R are doing now or what all these companies are doing now. And I bet you they would line up perfectly. We've gotten away from the idea that the government funding, well, I'm not a huge fan of government, but I do think that when there's not a profit motive involved, when government is managing our resources, there's no need for profit. So they can have people drive a thousand miles or 400 miles to go check power lines where a private company doesn't want to do that because there's no money involved in it. A private company wants to shut down people doing their wash at three o'clock because everybody does it at that time. They want to shut down your water supply at this time because everybody's doing it. They don't want to waste everything because they have to go out and repair it. They look at it from this small-minded, profit-driven model. And the same way we're privatizing resources in California, that's the model for the rest of the, the state. You can see it happening. And I think that, that that is this idea of scarcity. Like, you know, we don't have to live in scarcity. We have the ability to live in abundance. And I I wish more people would adopt this idea of we can continue to grow responsibly instead of having to take this Malthusian angle of just getting rid of half the population and, and getting rid of people and designating them useless eaters. And I'm curious to what you think about how do you see, if you could give me two ideas, one is a if we continue to go down the road we're going, in your mind, what does the future look like in 10 years? And if we were to change things, how could the future, how could it look like in 10 years? If you give me a negative side and then a positive side. Ooh. Um, well, first of all, you're, you're, you just keep echoing stuff that, that Rich, uh, Rich goes through in, in the autonomy course. And, and you probably, I, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I mean, uh, it's not an accusation. <laughs> I, I understand exactly it's, what you're uh, saying. We're on the same page, man. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's like you've been through the autonomy course, but um, wow, ten years. I mean, I think I think things could get pretty rough. I think things are going to get a lot worse than uh, yeah before they get better, and hopefully not too bad. I I hope uh, I hope nuclear war. I, I hope that isn't a real option on the table. I mean, I I question how how you know. I, I think it's just used as a, as a fear, uh, a fear tactic. And like you're talking about scarcity mindset, like that's, that's something we have to unlearn going through the autonomy course. Well, there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of vectors of attack to keep people in a scarcity mindset. So you're right on the money with that. And I think that's going to continue. Um, and I think the fight now, you know, obviously we're in a, um, fifth generational warfare where, um, the, the, the war that, you know, we're, I think we're in a civil war. It's been going on a while and, and it, 
it crosses borders even i think it's uh it's bigger than than just this country and thinking thinking north and south that that kind of thing it's it's very messy and um yeah we i don't know we have we have an opportunity to to push back to transmit these these broadcasts try to get people's attention and at the very least give them something down the road a time capsule to help make some sense of how we got to to where things are um yeah ultimately i don't know i I think humanity is going to win out on the on the anti-human agenda i do think it's going to be a bumpy ride and uh people need to prepare accordingly but that doesn't mean living in fear and it, it doesn't mean um uh you know living in despair or having despair at all yeah i agree i I think that um you know after talking to you for a while i it confirms this idea that i had that people first off let me start this particular thought by saying that suffering is growth i believe that the purpose of tragedy is because there's a force bigger than you can imagine that has decided that you are strong enough to go through this thing and then come out the other side and help other people. I think that 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 is what tragedy is the purpose of tragedy. And I know that a lot of people who find themselves in a tragic event always ask themselves, why, why me? And that's the answer. At least it's a good mindset that if you find yourself in a tragedy, if you apply this mindset, it'll totally help you. So I hope people will apply that. And that's my firm belief in that. What I, what I have been confirmed by talking to you is that people who have had or struggle with depression are usually some of the deepest thinkers that I, that I meet because they spend so much time suffering. They spend so much time asking themselves the difficult questions of, Oh God, is this me? Fuck. I hate this. And like, they don't, they can't run away and hide in something else. They must face that question. And that's what seems to lead to this depression is that, You're constantly asking yourself the most difficult questions possible. So when I speak to people who have had depression, I'm always amazed at their level of thought, the way they choose words, the way they're careful choosing words, the way they're careful with their thoughts. Like I think that in some ways, depression makes the best philosophers out there. And I just wanted to tell you, thank you for having a conversation. And and before we continue to move on, I just wanted to get that out there. My pleasure. Uh, I'm enjoying this and yeah, we, me didn't, too. we didn't plan on any of this. And uh, right. I, yeah, I, um, well, speaking of philosophy, I mean, I, I, you know, I've, I've, I'll admit I need to, I need to study more. Like I haven't, I haven't ingested all of Tony's, uh, yeah, his logic course. philosophy material, <laughs> but, but I, I have certainly learned along the way and working with him and, and Rich and uh i'm excited you know jay jay dyer's doing his philosophy course we we had week one last week and and i'm going to be helping out with the production on that so i look forward to getting into that because i have gotten a lot of value from from his perspective and his his material over the past few years uh with regards to philosophy but i i need to dig a lot deeper but you're helping me realize that the potential I have for, for that. And, and, uh, I appreciate people tolerating sometimes, uh, 
my my delivery uh is is stuttered um and I, you know i'm not <laughs> i'm not claiming to be a deep thinker but but i think recognizing the ca- capacity for for that and i need to cultivate that a bit more and, yeah, and I think work on my true. work on my speaking public speaking i could do that i think everybody can do that like it's difficult to i think it was christopher hitchens who said he who develops himself as a public speaker and does it well must never will never will never have to sleep or dine alone mm. <laughs> but yeah well I, I, yeah exactly you know i'm curious to get your thoughts on this overwhelming blanket of propaganda that's just being pushed out there through the whether it's talk radio or it's television or social media even it just seems like it's been ratcheted up to like a 12 and Mm. i i I, for me one of my biggest pet peeves right now or in the last couple weeks was this idea of who blew up this pipeline and they give you this false choice of like was it russia or was it the u.s was it us and it People don't understand that by saying it's us, you automatically implement everybody. It's not us. We didn't have anything to do with it. You know, it's a loose conglomeration of multinational corporations and family offices and maybe some, you know, some hedge funds or something or some some sort of other nefarious characters. But it's not us. It's not us as a nation. And I wish people could begin to see that we are not the America that you were taught in school. And in fact, we've, we've, we've become this sort of puppet for the British empire, or we've become this puppet for multinational corporations and stuff. What is your take on the propaganda out there? And what do you think are some things we can do to help people see through it? Yeah. Um, you know, Rich often says we're, the U.S. is just like the property manager for the the British Empire. We're not we're not really one of the overt crown colonies, uh, the crown countries, but you know we're sort of sort of acting like one on the on the down low without without truly understanding. Um, to answer your question, uh, if I could share, can I share my yeah, screen? Please, man. Um, I think so because I came across an interesting article last night. Um, and all right, do you have to drag it in? Um, there we go. Yeah. So here, I'll go to the original. <clears throat> okay. Um, cause I'm, so I don't know if you've come across Jinx on Twitter. I haven't. Uh, no, I'm excited he's a, he's to hear this video editor. Okay. Uh, let me see if, well, <clears throat> there's a particular style of editing, um, let me see. I think he he just got he's constantly getting banned on uh on Twitter. Um all right, sorry. I I'll I'll share I'll find something later to share with you. Maybe some of the audience is familiar, but have you seen this ghost in the machine clip that the no. the army put out? No. Um we could play it. I mean, it, it's it's a few minutes long, but and then Let's we could it. talk about, yeah, what's. It's a great idea. Let me. Yeah, it's three minutes long. This surfaced a few months ago. I think we played it on, um, played it on the show. 
it's very well made. Look, they're quoting Sun Tzu. So use this cartoon character from the 1920s. The peaceful pro-democracy demonstration in China comes to a violent and bloody end. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Who's pulling the strings? Wolves hiding nearby Whispering do or die Around me another very important phase of warfare. It has as its target, not the body, but the mind of the enemy. The target of psychological warfare is against the enemy's mind. It is words and ideas. Ammunition used by Cywar. Its mission is to influence the thoughts of the enemy soldiers. And at the same time, is expected and encouraged to study foreign languages and the social sciences such as history, economics, and sociology. He must have a broad and sympathetic understanding of all phases of human experience. Gripping at my skin, the walls of night closing. But the use of this force as an integral part of combat has now taken on new forms. We are everywhere. The wow. Sky War soldiers. Wow. Yeah. Um, so that's a obviously a brilliantly made piece of propaganda uh, that was, was put out on the Army's YouTube page. <laughs> There's no credit given to it. So I found this, this article last night, Army Tries Incel Marketing. And... Um, in this in this article, the author mentions that you know it'd be really hard to put out that video and not take credit for it. It's it's obviously uh, somebody very talented 
or a team of people. Yeah. Um, and they, they point out the, the Joker uh, trailer. Uh, I guess, uh, I'm not sure if I've seen the, the trailer, but apparently, you know, I, I'm familiar with the, the Joker symbolism and, and sort of uh, they're tying it to, uh, I suppose the media kind of ties it to incel culture, right wing extremism now as well. Uh, one of the, one of the points in the article is that it's unclear, like, is this a message? Is this just a, a, uh, a threat itself or a, a sort of fear us look we're everywhere and, uh, you can come be a part of it. Like, what's this? This is cool. Cause apparently there, there've been some lengthy discussions in 4chan chats and stuff like that. Uh, and then people are just like, well, we actually don't give a fuck, but it looks cool. Uh, or are, are they desperate to, to get people involved? And um, at the end of the article, um, so these, it says, it closes this way. So these young guys could be effectively duped by good marketing only to find themselves truly in clown mode glorified customer service intake specialists on the front lines of the clown empire the joker was born to destroy the enemy whose mind the army controls may not be a foreign entity but the targets of the recruitment campaign themselves um and i, I yeah i kind of skipped over it uh t- touches on earlier that uh, this this article is fascinating because it it's from somebody who understands marketing and avatars and sort of a, a persona that you come up with. So it's definitely targeting a segment of the population that is now a target in the sense of, um, you know, a a potential domestic terrorist threat. And I, and I bring that up because, um, you know, we recently had, um, um, Whitney Webb, sorry. Here, let me, And um, I brought to their to Rich's attention, you know, what about main core base? And and that was something that caught my my eye. Um, Ryan, Christian, and, and Whitney Webb earlier this year were writing about the you know looming threat of of uh, of domestic terrorism, and and specifically that the that the war on terror is shifting from you know the middle east boogeyman to right wing uh white identitarian terrorists and so when there was promise software and al qaeda the base was developed um there was also a main core base developed which is sort of the the list for domestic terrorists and i see i i, I think the article or one of the articles that whitney or ryan writing about was that we've got this situation where we're sending gobs of money to Ukraine. So our government is supporting a neo-Nazi supporting regime, you know, with Zelensky, you know, doing his having a gila on the piano with his unit. And what happens? So that this is me thinking what happens when we've got good, good-hearted individuals going on over there 
and fighting on the side of these Azov battalion, fighting on the side of neo-Nazis, fighting against Russia. What happens when they start to figure out what's going on? They lose friends. They make it back and they survive. Now they're, you know, battle-hardened. And now they're questioning their government. And now perhaps they're a threat to the continuity of government because that's what this is all about is preserving the status quo and making sure there's nothing that's going to disrupt that, including people that are dissatisfied with how things are being run. So um, it's like a built-in terror factory I I see potentially. Um, I hope not. And so thanks for... Uh, sort of going on that journey, I, I could have been a little more organized with that. But so to address your question, what what do we do? Um, again, I you know we're in a fifth generation warfare, and and one of the things that stuck with me from Mark Passio is that he, he he refers to Quigley writing in Tragedy and Hope that the rifle was the equalizer, um, keeping tyranny at bay, and now. Um, while, you know, that's still true to an extent, you know, because eventually, you know, an RPG or a a tank is going to take out a rifleman. Um, the personal computer is sort of the, the rifle of the 21st century in fifth generational warfare. So everybody's being corralled into these, you know, these devices, fondle slab, your black mirror your laptop, your Chromebook, your iPad, and there's all kinds of cool free tools. You know, gee whiz, look what I can do on my device. And, but there's all kinds of uh, hidden, uh, not opportunity costs, but you know, if, if the product is, sorry, if the service is free, you're the product, you know, and it's all this, this data mining. So I think becoming literate, and this is Passio again, Literacy no longer is being able to read and write. Literacy is knowing the tools of, of, of production, of, of publication. And that, and that is embodied in a desktop computer, a personal computer, and um, understanding video and audio and publication uh, to websites, hosting websites. So... I guess uh, that that's my long answer to what what do we do? Um, I think teach others and help others understand uh, the power of being a producer, and, and you know this is something that drew me into Rich's autonomy course. He would talk about we we have this uh, this input overload. We're overloaded by grammar, let's say, to tie it back to trivium. So how do you balance out? Like how do you take your input and you organize it? with the, uh, the processing, the rhetoric, or sorry, the, the, the logic, and then how do you output that and become a producer um, with you know, your rhetoric, your output? Uh, how, how do you move from, from consumption to production? And I think it's through, through learning the tools on the personal computer um, and, and then certainly building a library if you can and 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 having having physical books to reference so yeah i mean i think we're experimenting it 
we're experimenting with that right now. You know, Rich did the Peace Revolution podcast. He did, he's done many productions. Um, what You've Been Missing, he, uh, he and Tony were trying to go for a sort of news anchor kind of a vibe or, or that, that kind of presentation. And, and they were also kind of struggling with the tools they had at the time. And now, uh, struggling to, you know, to do what we're doing now, now the tools exist. Thanks a lot to, to the gaming kind of the gaming, um, realm and thanks to, you know, kind of to like COVID and, and the push to, to get everybody doing zoom meetings like that, that stuff's gotten more readily available and, and, and upgraded and, and works better. So now we, we use those tools to broadcast these transmissions and, and, uh, give substantive, uh, media out there to people in the present and, and hopefully in, in the future. And then I don't know, but I, I mentioned jinx I'll, I'll have to find some videos send, send to you and, um, Maybe you can have something in the in the show notes about it, but it's he does get banned quite frequently, so hard to pin down. But but yeah, like that's that's one approach. I don't know. That's somebody using the tools, kind of demonstrated in that that Cywar uh, recruiting tool or propaganda piece or both, and using it to tie a bunch of very seemingly disconnected footage together and, and express within, you know, two minutes or less, uh, a complex set of connections, you know, whether it's about the Oklahoma city bombing or nine 11 or Mena, Arkansas and president George HW Bush and, and, uh, Iran Contra concepts like that are put to music and presented in, in a, a quick format. And I don't know, for some that that might be a turnoff i think for some especially you know gen z uh tiktok tiktok brains i think it's it's a way to get get their attention and and um draw them in i could be wrong and you know I, one thing i wasn't able to express quite clearly it, but if if you read that article in there it it describes this not a, a vortex, but it's an interesting thing going on where, I mean, you, you think about the, the media is the message and, and um, Marshall McLuhan yep. and it's kind of a mind fuck. Like, are we, by making stuff like that, um, showing people this, this horrific stuff, are we contributing to, like, is that what the system wants to, for us to, to want to destroy it? Because it seems like they're they're invested in riling people up and and showing off. This is what we do, and what are you going to do about it? You know, now now you're a target for us. So I I don't know if you if that follows clearly, um, but I'll share the link to that article with yeah, you please for the show notes as well, and, and maybe we can get some feedback from from the audience. But uh. That, that was a long answer. <laughs> that was a great answer, man. Thank you for sharing that. I, there's a lot in there. I, I think those are that is a great strategy for people who want to make a difference. The first part is to understand that 
you can make a difference. You have all the tools you need to make a difference at your disposal today that 10, five, even five years ago, people didn't have. And you can make a difference. You might get banned here and there, but you start another account. And who knows what goes viral? Who knows what three-minute video or 30-second video could change the mind of an adolescent that could grow up to be somebody that changes the world themselves? Like, we do have the ability to paint pictures in the minds of other people. And it maybe that's our job is to educate. And, you know, I, I don't, I think there's a difference between education and indoctrination. And when you take out the meaning, when you take out the context, you're indoctrinating. But when you give people the context, when you give them the different understandings of what this could be, and you allow them to make that decision, then you're educating them. You're allowing them to take in the information and make the decision that they think is fit. And I, I think that's the difference between a propaganda video and a video that speaks more truth, if that kind of makes sense. I, and I'm, I'm super thankful that you showed that video and I'm super thankful that you explained it the way that you did. I think it makes a lot of sense. And that is something, it's easy to get caught up in the fear porn. It's easy to get caught up in the idea of the black pill. We're like, oh, they're just too powerful. We're all going to die. We can't do anything. But the truth is, we, as our enemy, as the people in power grow more powerful, so too do we grow more powerful. And the only power people have over you, regardless of where you're at, what time, the only power people have over you is the power you give them. If you don't give them power, they, they don't have power. You know, that's why laughter is so such an amazing tool is because you can laugh at people and it just deflates them and stuff. But Lawrence, I'm super excited to get to talk to you today. And this has exceeded my wildest expectations, man. I'm, I'm really thankful. Maybe we can do a series where you come back often and we can continue to do this and, and talk. And it's really fun for me. So I, I, I could talk to you for another hour and a half, but I got a truck to go drive. So um, yeah, I, ha <laughs> I have to get out no, of here, but I, I'm, I'm grateful as well. And I really enjoyed it. I would, I'd love to do this again. And, uh, yeah. you know, we, we could, we could talk about a variety of things. Um, and yeah, I have a, I have a friend too, that I'm talking with uh, that has a little experience from, from the operational side of, of, uh, psychological warfare. And he's talked about doing a show and laying out sort of the grammar of let's bring him on. Let's do it. Yeah, I'll uh, yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that. But thank you so much, George. This this has been really fun, and uh, really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Well, so what? So before we go, why don't you tell people about the Freedom United Revolt and what you got going on there? Oh yeah, that's a t-shirt store. I saw you uh, you checked out the site, um, and uh, we could bring. Can you? So I got it right here. There you go. Pop that up on the screen. Boom. Yeah, I've got a new shirt in honor of Ernie Hancock. Make him make you. <laughs> Freedomsphoenix.com. And um, um, it's a it's a t-shirt store. My wife and I started, and Rich throws a lot of ideas at me. Uh, but it really kind of started with this. I wanted to make a shirt that said I'm part of the control group. So it was an exercise in making that happen and uh you know we've got got somebody contributing designs and uh a variety of stuff uh to quote ernie hancock they are highbrow 
uh, highbrow humor, t-shirt designs. But yeah, freedomunitedrevolt.com. Um, check it out. Uh, people got a lot of satisfied customers, so definitely want more people to see that. And uh, I well, I want to do more with that. I I I really love what Ernie does with freedomsphoenix.com. Of course, he's up on IPFS, so he's he's got his uh, you know parallel internet fu. It's not going away. It's mine. Um, I'd love to do, you know, maybe some publishing or at least uh, linking to stuff. I, I do have like an allies page on on the website that directs to a bunch of uh, a bunch of people um, that I think are worth checking out. And um, yeah, that's it. And I produced the Grand Theft World podcast. You can check it out at grandtheftworld.com. We've got a community. There's a whole lot of value inside of there and ability to jump in and, and listen to kind of pre-show and post-show and listen in on the Zoom call. And we have, we've got a, a bi-weekly town hall with Tony, Meyer, Tony Myers and Rich pops in sometimes and, and I hang out uh, from time to time. And it's a lively discussion, a lot of great minds, uh, an opportunity to get involved. And uh, yeah, and season eight of Autonomy just kicked off. If it's uh, something you've heard about or um, want to know more about, you can check out uh, getautonomy.info forward slash ignite. And uh, it's, it's not too late to jump in and get on, uh, get on a blueprint call and see if it's something that, that could benefit your life. Yeah, I would recommend everybody check out the Grand Theft World podcast i would definitely recommend going to freedom united revolt picking yourself up some gear to get people talking it's a great way to have people stop you out in public and start talking to you find like-minded people and um if you want to reach out can, is there a uh, what's the best place if people wanted to reach out to you on the topic of producing or if they wanted to pick your brain about some of the things we talked about what, what's the best place to reach you at um yeah, you can message me on on Twitter at subdialect sound, uh, sub yeah at subdialect like a like dialect at subdialect sound. That's my my Twitter handle. I'm accessible there. Um, and or if you know if if you're on Discord, you can find me. Um, just I think it's just subdialect on Discord. But yeah, uh, stay tuned. I think uh, yeah, I'm gonna get something going here soon to to get it get out in front of a bunch of people if they're interested, um, and and see what what I can help them learn. That's so awesome, man! I'm looking forward to all that you got coming up, and I'm looking forward to uh, maybe doing a weekly or a biweekly show with you, and and just it's a really great conversation. And I'm stoked that you and the GTW team are out there doing what you're doing. I think you're making the world a little bit better. And I really think people would enjoy listening to the content you guys have. You guys have a positive message. You guys have a great way of communicating to people that is not, you know, it's not, it's not overwhelming and people can take in the message and they can breathe in as much as they want to, or, or they can learn a certain amount and then go away and then come back. But it's, it's such an inviting show. Lawrence, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. The links will be in the show notes. Um, thank you to everybody who participated in the chat. 
We're super thankful to have you here and participating. We love everybody, and um, we're looking forward to building a better future and a better tomorrow. So hang on one second. I'm going to close the broadcast, but I still want to talk to you. Aloha, everybody. Thank you. taking a moment to hang out with me in the true life podcast i truly appreciate it if you're taking some time to listen to this whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way i truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart additionally i would like to try to inspire everyone the world is a crazy place and if you listen to your heart and you take some chances i really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine i've been doing the podcast for about five years Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. 
I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true, but you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.